Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. What a great way to uh, start this morning with those uh, songs of victory, those songs of celebration. Uh, for those that uh, were in uh, life group that weren't able to be with us in the first hour, um, we were able to uh, baptize Tom and uh, Tina Stanley in the first service, just a new couple to the church. Um, had uh, come to Discover Green Hill, and after coming to Discover Green Hill, um, understood that uh, they had never participated in believer's baptism. And so uh, from that class, we just had a conversation, and uh, this morning I had the privilege to baptize them as a, as a couple, um, baptize them into uh, the family of God, but also into the church family as well. So excited about that. Um, the next time that we, the next time that we introduce members, we'll introduce them as members and give you an opportunity to come in and uh, shake their hand and uh, to be able to uh, welcome them into uh, our uh, Green Hill family. So that was an exciting part of this morning. And then each one of those songs that we've uh, sung just have been uh, about freedom this morning and this opportunity that we have to uh, walk from death to life and to make this decision to uh, follow Jesus and then live in that freedom. And so. Uh, just a wonderful morning celebrating the, the goodness of the gospel. And I hope over these next few minutes as we open God's word that you'll see the beauty of the gospel um, in the text uh, this morning as well. I want to apologize to my folks that are on this side of the room. I know uh, uh, that you can see we've had some construction in the room uh, today, and some of uh, the folks that normally sit on this side are displaced from their seats. And I know how good Baptists are. When we're displaced from our seats, we get a little grumpy. So I'm sorry and it, for you guys that are displaced, but we'll have the room uh, back in order next week. And so I promise if you come back, your seat will be intact. If you would have seen this place this morning about 7.30, you would have said, there's no way we're having church this morning. We're going to have to sit like crisscross applesauce on the floor and just uh, do it like old school, uh, like uh, when Jesus taught that we all just lounged around. But uh, our volunteer team came in this morning at 7.30, and uh, there was a huge crane right here in the middle of the auditorium, and all the chairs were pushed back, but they were able to uh, get everything uh, set back for us. Um, this week, we've uh, had uh, uh, some upgrades to our uh, sanctuary. You can see new um, uh, speakers in, uh, up in the ceiling here and around the room. And then we got rid of the screens and put up uh, um, uh, some paint on the wall. So uh, there's no more screens anymore. And we have, still have some upgrades to uh, the uh, projectors to go and uh, still some finishing touches on the speakers. For you guys that thought, man, the sound sounded awesome today because of these new speakers. No, they, they're not hooked up yet. They will, they, uh, they, <laughs> Uh, that awesome sound was just because of our awesome team in the room. Uh, that, uh, yeah, let's give them a hand. And uh, next week, uh, we'll get to uh, hear the, the new sound system uh, in the room. And I just want to say a thank you to you and your faithfulness in uh, giving to the Hospitality Project over the years and your faithfulness to uh, give. We were able to uh, do this upgrade to the sanctuary because of that faithfulness, uh, both to giving to the Hospitality Project and then your overages of giving um, on uh, over and above our ministry budget allows us to do upgrades in this space so that we can have the best uh, in-house experience as possible, but also the best online experience as uh, possible. So the team will be tweaking that stuff this week, and uh, you will uh, have a new sound system when we come back for church uh, uh, next uh, Sunday. Uh, so uh, thank you for that, and for you guys on this side of the room that are displaced, I'm sorry. You can live with it for one week. I promise your seat will be back uh, uh, next week. 
So uh, we are uh, continuing in Galatians uh, today. So if you have your Bibles, grab it and turn to Galatians chapter number five. We're going to be finishing up Galatians over these next few weeks as we head into uh, Christmas, but we got to get through uh, five and six for us to be able to uh, finish it up. But our hope is that we would finish it up uh, with uh, before Christmas. So for those that are thinking, now I'm going to hear Christmas messages as soon as next week comes, that's not the case. You'll, we're going to finish up Galatians, and then we will uh, get into uh, some of our Christmas messages. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 is a very well-known uh, chapter in the Bible, and we're going to be spending the next three weeks in uh, talking about uh, the, the chapter of Galatians, uh, most famously known as the, the chapter with the fruit of the Spirit in it. And so most of the time when you hear messages from uh, Galatians 5, you'll hear messages uh, centered around the fruit of the Spirit. That'll be in week three of chapter uh, 5. And so the next two weeks, we'll kind of work through uh, talking about today, kind of an introduction to the fruit of the Spirit and give you an introduction to the Holy Spirit and the role of uh, the believer. And next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the, 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 what the fruit of the flesh looks like and the fruit of the Spirit looks like, like what comes out of living by the flesh, what looks like living uh, out of the Spirit. And then Pastor Brandon in week three will dive deeper into what the actual fruit of the Spirit is as you live it out. Today, what I'd like to do is spend some time introducing you to that uh, person, uh, third part of the Trinity, the uh, Holy Spirit, and what his function is in our uh, lives. A lot of times, he's the most ignored or maybe the most understood part of the Trinity, but today, we're going to really tap into what his role is in the life of the believer and then how he produces this fruit in our lives. All right, And so that's where we'll be in Galatians uh, chapter 5. Paul shows us in Galatians 5 that the Holy Spirit is essential for spiritual growth and that we, have to have, that we need access to him for power and for his presence. Now, this is a familiar passage that we're going to be reading, especially the latter part of chapter 5. And the warning that I would give you is a lot of times when something is uh, familiar to us, it becomes casual to us. And we miss the power of the teaching. And so I really want you to lean in over these next few weeks as we talk about what the fruit of the Spirit is. For us to better understand chapter number five, though, we need to uh, relate to what Pastor Brandon talked about last week in chapter uh, number four, because this is really where the Holy Spirit is introduced uh, to us. Uh, Paul starts the discussion about the Holy Spirit and how he changes our lives in reference to the uh, story in the Old Testament of uh, Abraham and Sarah. At the end of chapter 4, Paul returns to this story to give us a word picture of what the Holy Spirit does in their life and what he also does in our life. As we learned last week, Abraham is the biological father to the nation of Israel. But when we meet him in Genesis chapter number 12, what we know about him is that he uh, doesn't have any children and he's in his 80s married to a childless woman in her 70s. Now, this looks like a bleak picture uh, to someone that is going to be the biological father to the nation of Israel. But God appears to them and promises them that they will have a son, and from this son will come the nation of Israel and and will also come salvation for the world. Now, this is an unbelievable promise for a childless couple to believe. But Abraham believed He believed in God's promise, and because he believed in God's promise, two things happened to him. The first thing that happened is his belief was credited to him as righteousness. Genesis chapter 15 says it this way, that when he believed, he was justified. 
righteousness was credited to his account. And secondly, he and Sarah, their old sterile bodies were infused with reproductive life. And he, Paul tells us this story in chapter number four so that he can help us see what the Holy Spirit does in our life as believers. Our righteousness is declared over us because of the Holy Spirit. When we believe, we are credited with Jesus Christ's righteousness, but also this dead, dry bones now come alive through the Holy Spirit. So the same things that happened to Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament are depicted to us as new believers in uh, the New Testament. Paul reminds us of this story because it's a picture of salvation. He explains in Genesis chapter, sorry, Galatians chapter 3, that just like Abraham, when we believe God's promise, the promise that Jesus Christ came and that he lived a perfect life for us, that he died on the cross for us, a substitutionary death, that he rose from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. If we believe that, this salvation is brought into the world, and when we believe that, it is credited to us as righteousness. And our dead, dry bones, our life, can be infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's where he begins this morning in setting this framework as we begin to introduce what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So grab Galatians, grab your Bible, and let's turn to Galatians chapter number one. I'm going to spend a lot of time this morning in the very first verse setting up the text because it's really the key to the passage, and then I'll pick up the following verses later in the chapter. But let's look first at verse number one. Keep your Bible handy because you're going to need it this morning as we get deeper into the message. Galatians 5 and verse number one says this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom... You have been set free. This word free there is both noun and verb in this passage, and it is communicating to you that God has set you free for freedom. That's going to be the word that you hear over and over this morning, and this is the word that Paul was trying to communicate to the Galatians, that freedom. Paul, in, Paul is in Galatia, and the whole message is summed up in this word, one word, Freedom. Most of us understand that we've been saved from something, but we don't recognize that we've been saved to something. We've been saved to freedom. Christ has freed us for freedom. But even as Christians, we have a tendency to run back to or to submit to this yoke of slavery. So Paul says to us, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't move, therefore. And do not submit again to this yoke of slavery. I've been uh, married for uh, 18 years. My wife's not in this service, so she can't give me a dirty look about telling you guys how long we've been married. Because after the first service, she said, I can't believe you told them how long we're, we're uh, married. That makes me sound really old. I'm like, baby, we are old, all right? So uh, now she's not the old one. I'm the old one. We married when she was young. So just uh, when you see her today, don't mention that I said we're going to be married 19 years in uh, June. But we are. But what if my our relationship that my, uh, my wife's approval and my wife's acceptance of me and her love for me was based solely upon what I did for her. So one day she wakes up and she says, Casey, I don't think that you uh, love me well. 
So what I need for you to do is I want you to uh, tell me that you're sorry. I want you to take me on a very fancy date tonight. And uh, I want you to be kind to me for the rest of the day. And maybe that'll make me love you. Or she may wake up and say, hey, Casey, you haven't been very patient with me uh, recently, and that probably is a weakness of mine. Uh, she says, you haven't been very patient, so guess what? You need to go today and buy me flowers. Uh, you need to uh, buy me a nice present. You need to rededicate your vows to me, and I will accept you back again. Now, these aren't bad things uh, that I should not be doing for my wife. They're all things I should be doing but if I only do them because I'm afraid that she won't accept me or love me unless I do them, then my marriage is not a marriage, it's slavery. It's not intimacy, it's slavery. Instead, what I've done is I have placed my life, I've placed my heart into this covenantal marriage that I have with my wife. And because we have this covenantal commitment with one another, I do these things because I have a desire to do these things because I love her, not to get her to love me. There's a difference here between the desire to do these and the duty that I feel that I have to do these. The natural fruit of this commitment that I've made to her is this desire to do these things because of the love that I have for her, not to get her to love me in return. And so many times our marriages become contractual. Our marriages become uh, this, uh, you do for me and I'll do for you. When that's never the way they were intended to be, they were in intended to be rooted out of love, not rooted out of fear. And this relationship with Jesus Christ can become the same way. We feel like this duty that we have to do when it should be rooted in love. Write this down somewhere in your notes this morning. Fear can never produce fruit. Let me say that for you again. Fear can never produce fruit. We're going to see in the end of chapter number five, all these fruit of the spirit that should be evident in the life of the believer, but they will never be evident in the life of a believer if it's rooted in fear. Fear can never produce fruit fruit. When you are constantly trying to please God by your works, that's slavery. When you're constantly trying to produce fruit, you think that will make God accept you, that's slavery. If you're here this morning and the only reason that you came is so that I can give you more things to do so that God will be pleased with you, you're living in slavery. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about this morning. You felt it before. Can I just be honest with you as well? I've been in the same place this morning where I felt like my relationship with Jesus Christ was slavery. Just a list of things to do, to be, to live. Like God was never pleased with me. And you felt that too, that just strain, that weariness that comes with feeling like I have to be, I have to do, I have to live better and God will be pleased with me. What you need from me this morning is not more instructions on things to do. What you need from me this morning is for you to fall in love with Jesus Christ and for you to experience the intimacy that comes with desire and a commitment to Jesus Christ, not a list of things to do and to don't. 
Freedom comes in knowing that everything necessary for us and our salvation is already done. Everything that you need to please God is already done through the person of Jesus Christ. It has already been accomplished for you. Stop doing it's already done. That's what Paul is trying to communicate to us. He says, you are free. Live in that freedom. Don't go back to slavery. Don't go back to bondage. That's why he gives the picture this morning of the yoke. This yoke around the animal, this yoke around the man where whoever has the reins to the yoke is the master over that individual. What he's saying is don't return to slavery. You are free. Live free. We know we're free because of the work of Jesus Christ. We want to live free because of the work of Jesus Christ. But our tendency is to wander. Our tendency is to go back to what we know. And going back to what we know is obedience. We think that obedience is what God wants. He, obedience is good, but that's not the end. That's not the ultimate to him. So we continue to go back to the law. We continue to go back to this bond, bondage of slavery. The famous hymn that we sing uh, in the old hymnals and now is sung today in our uh, contemporary uh, songs that's been remade is this song, Come Thou Fount, Come Thou King. The, the hymnist, he says it in this way, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And if there's one thing that has characterized the church, the North American church, the church in the U.S., it is that we are a wandering people, that we wander away back to the law. Back to trying to earn our approval before God. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is the story of our hearts. So Paul, he writes to them. He says, you are free. Live in that freedom. And then he says, how do we, land, how do, we do that? Stand firm. Stand firm in the faith and don't go back to the law. We have the opportunity here at the church that our offices are closed here on Fridays. So our day off for the staff is on Fridays, and that works really well for me and my family. And uh, we uh, I spent, are able to spend a lot of time with my boys on uh, Friday. And so uh, a lot of times, uh, Asa, he calls them Daddy Asa days. And so we spend a lot of time together on Friday, uh, Fridays while Canaan is at school. But when Canaan's out of school, we call it man town. The three of us together, and we go and do fun things uh, together. One of our favorite things to do is for us to go to the zoo. We love to go to the zoo. We have a membership at the zoo. And there's a lot of different things that you can do there. Not every trip to the zoo looks the same. Sometimes you can just watch, a mo watch the movies that they have or go see the animals or play on some of the uh, exhibits that they have or go to the playground. And so we don't spend all day there, but we'll go there in the morning time and then we'll grab lunch and then uh, go home for naps. And so we spend a lot of time at the zoo. One of our favorite things to do at the zoo is go to the playground. Now, we had this same conversation, my boys and I, when we go on Mantown. I say this to them, and we say it almost every time we go into any place like this. I say to them, there's two of you, and there's one of me. Now, I'm pretty good with man-to-man -man defense. When it's me and Abby and the two boys, we're good to go. But anytime I'm outnumbered, it stresses me out. All right? I'm not good at zone defense. I want two-on-two two. for you folks that have more than two kids in the room. Lord help you. God knew with the two that he gave me, it was going to need to be man-to-man -man defense. And so uh, when she's with me, she's more responsible than me anyways, but we can do a good job of keeping up with them. But when it's, when it's man-town and it's two-on-one, 
I'm like, good Lord, help us. Here we go. Then we had this conversation. I say to them, all right, Canaan, Asa, there's two of you and there's one of me. Here's your responsibility and here's my responsibility. Your responsibility is you guys stay together no matter what. If you guys stay together, I only have to find one person. I don't have to find two people. And I'm really good at finding one person, but I'm terrible at finding two people. So I need you guys to stay together. And I'll say this to the oldest one, uh, Canaan. Canaan, you're in charge of making sure you guys stay together. So I'll put them in the same color shirt, the same color hat so I can find them. And then we know our responsibilities. At the zoo, it's awesome on the new side because the new side is wide open, all right? So there's hills and stuff, but you can kind of stand up on one of the hills and they can play on all these new gadgets and it's amazing. But the old side of the zoo, the castle for my parents that, are, that know what I'm talking about, the castle, this wooden castle that they climb up in, you can't see them for nothing. This, the wooden side is of the devil. Like you cannot find your kid on the castle side. So I say, you guys stay together. I get a distance away from the castle, and then I watch them as they go up and try to uh, find the red shirt or the blue hat as they're going up. I made a mistake the first time I took them over there, and I said, the easiest thing to do is for me just to stay with them. So then I was trying to go with them in this castle. They're a lot faster than me, A, and two, they can get into these little places that I can't get into. And then when I got to the top, I'm like, oh man, now I gotta slide down. And who wants to slide down that many times? And by the time I got to the bottom, they were already gone, and I couldn't find them anyways. So I said, forget it. I'm not going in the castle anymore. I'm gonna stand back here, and the last instructions I give them there's two of you, there's one of me, you guys stay together, I'll find one of you, but if you get lost, right here in the front is a snake that you can climb on, and there's a hippopotamus that you can climb on. And I say, if you get lost, you go to the hippopotamus and you stay there. Go to the hippo and stay there. If you lose your brother, stay there. If you lose me, stay there. Don't move, I will find you. I'm not even worried about you telling the zoo uh, personnel that you're lost. Don't go find your brother. You just go to the hippo and I will find you, I promise. That's what Paul's saying right here. He's saying, stand firm. Don't move. Don't wander. Don't go find somebody else. Don't chase something that's pretty. Stay firm. Just like I'm going to find my kids, the Holy Spirit is going to find you. Just stand firm. Don't turn back to bondage. This word stand firm is a military term. The, the uh, writer here tells us it's, it's an explicit military term that says to fight or to stay in the faith. You say, Casey, why did they have to stay in the faith? Because there was a false gospel that was being taught. If you look down to verse number seven, it actually characterizes these false teachers as someone that was trying to hinder them. They were actively trying to hinder them and to get them off course. So he's saying, ignore those people, stand firm. We personally have a tendency to wander. There's people in your life that are hindering you. There's a false uh, gospel that's being teached being taught, don't chase those things, stand firm. Paul is showing us that unless we actively keep ourselves in that faith, we will drift back to works righteousness, thinking it's on ourselves to save ourselves. Have you ever driven a car before that had a messed up alignment? Like you're driving down the road, everything's good, but as soon as you take your hands off the wheel, it like wants to go in the ditch. That's what you are. That's what I am. It's, everything is perfect in our life. As soon as we take our hands off the wheel, we, we're naturally going to drift to works righteousness every time. Why? Because that's what we know. 
You'll be in the ditch of works righteousness, believing that it's on you to make yourself closer to God and produce spiritual life in your life. That's not your role. Your role is submitting to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will produce the fruit. Stop trying to do it on your own. So Paul, he mentions specific ways that we have a tendency to wander. Grab your Bible and let's walk through them together. We'll start in verse number two. Sorry, the end of verse number one. At the end of verse number one, he says, do not stumble again to a yoke of slavery. What he's talking about in those days, uh, slavery looked different than, ne- than what we picture uh, slavery is in uh, North America, in the North American slavery that uh, was abolished at the Emancipation Proclamation. But still, it was a bad type of slavery where you were unable to do the things that you wanted to. So when someone was free, they could then buy property. They can make decisions about their own schedule. They could schedule their own activities. They could uh, uh, learn. They could uh, live in however they wanted to. It would be unthinkable for someone that experienced that type of slavery to want to go back to slavery. Yet Paul is saying that's exactly what's happening to us. We revert back to slavery because it's all that we know. When Paul talks about the yoke of slavery, he's talking about the Old Testament law. Look at verse number two. It says this, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. This idea of circumcision, you could better probably put in there uh, trying to obey the law or the, or the law of the Old Testament. Pastor Brandon communicated that to us over the last couple of weeks, that this idea of circumcision is just a bent towards wanting to obey the law. Paul gets this very clear in this passage, that there's some issues the Galatians are facing about uh, circumcision, that some people were teaching that you must add circumcision uh, to the faith in Christ for it to be saving faith, that you had to keep some of the law to be able to be saved. And he says the result of that false teaching in verse number two says this, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So if you believe that circumcision is a part of your salvation, adding to the finished work of Jesus Christ, Christ will be of no advantage to you. If we trust in Christ and our own obedience, we lose all the benefit of trusting in Christ. So if I take what Jesus Christ has done, put an addition to it, and put my works with it, that's not salvation. What that happens is you lose the benefit of trusting in Christ. It's either Jesus Christ and his perfection or our works. It's not both. There's no middle ground. If we trust in our own obedience, we deface the work of Christ, and Jesus' gospel will have no value to you. Paul continues in verse number three. Look at it. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul is wanting the Galatians, warning the Galatians that the system of grace and the system of the law are incompatible. Once you try to pick up one part of the law, you must pick up the whole thing. You can't pick and choose. So if you choose one part of the law, you have to obey all parts of the law. So what's the problem with that? What's the result if I pick up this false doctrine, if I pick up this false gospel? Look at the end of verse 3. It says, if you believe that, if you pick up the law, then you're obligated to keep the whole law. The minute you begin to rely on your obedience, you become obligated to keep the entirety of God's law. Pastor Brandon's done a great job of communicating the exhaustiveness of the law and how you would keep every one of those laws. 
The problem is that none of us can keep that law. The only person that can keep that law is the person of Jesus Christ. Him and his perfection is the only one that can keep this law. So for us, we, we feel hopeless because there's no way in our flesh that we can keep all of the law. So we become debtors to God's law with no hope of repayment. He continues in verse 4, he says, You are severed from Christ. That word severed, man, that is a hard term. That we're severed from Christ, that we're separated from Christ. You who be justified by the law have fallen away from grace. If you try to justify yourself before God based on your own obedience, then you've cut yourself off of God's grace. There's no more dangerous place to be in life than someone that has cut themselves off from the grace and mercy of God. Because grace and self-justification are mutually exclusive, you must choose. The minute you try to accomplish your own salvation, you remove yourself from the grace and mercy of Christ. This is the way that you are characterized. This is who you are when you live under the law. You say, Casey, this is hard this morning. What kind of Thanksgiving message are you giving us? This is no hope. But verse 5 and 6 give us the good news of the gospel. Will you read verse 5 and 6? It gives us hope. Verse 5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, Once again, what's the purpose of Galatians? Galatians is showing us what the Spirit is doing in the life of the believer. So what does it say? For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is what it means to follow Christ. Instead of relying on our own obedience, we wait For God to give us righteousness by faith. It means looking to Christ instead of ourselves. If you write in your Bible, I want you to underline a word here, uh, a set of words here. Eagerly await. Underline that in your scripture. That we have this expectant hope that we eagerly await. You say, Casey, what are we eagerly awaiting? We are eagerly awaiting the justification that comes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that his righteousness is imparted to us. Now, this happens to us at salvation. You are justified at salvation. This justification word is a judicial term where the person that walked in in front of the judge would be declared not guilty by the judge. They walked in guilty, and they're leaving the courtroom justified that they are no longer guilty. They are declared righteous. All of us walk into the courtroom with sin on our account, and there's nothing that we can do in our own flesh, in our own obedience, to be able to wipe that sin debt away. But Jesus Christ, in his mercy, in his blood on the cross, he says that through the shedding of blood, there is remission of sins, there is forgiveness of sins. So what God does is he, the God, the righteous judge, he looks through the blood of Jesus Christ onto your account and he says, you are justified. That's what happens to you at salvation. You presently, as a believer of Jesus Christ, are righteous before God. But you still sin. So there is a future justification, a future righteousness that we look forward to, that we await, that makes us whole in Christ 
through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So there's a present justification, but there's a future justification that we're looking forward to that awaits us at the final judgment, and it's only through the person of Jesus Christ. So he says, eagerly await God's final verdict of righteousness on the last day. On the last day, we will, we will appear before God and be declared righteous based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is what's happening here. This is not an issue of circumcision. This is not an issue of keeping the law. This is an issue of whether we have faith in Jesus Christ or we have faith in ourselves. If you stand before God someday and you stand there on your own merit, you will be declared guilty. If you stand before God someday with Jesus Christ's blood on your account, you will be you will be justified. You will be set free. Do you understand that this morning? That's what he's given us. So we eagerly await. What do we eagerly await? Look at the, if you're underlining in your Bible, we eagerly await the hope of righteousness. This hope that we are going to be declared righteous. This Christian confidence. I love this word. Christian confidence. This expectation that he or she will be declared not guilty before God. Finally and forever at the final judgment. Our confident expectation is in the future, and this confidence in the future reaches back into the present. Let me explain this to you real quick. We have this future hope in Christ that we will be declared righteous, and that future hope is not just for the future. It also sends back and produces love in the life of the believer today because we are confidently looking for the righteousness that is in front of us. We will live, we live personally by faith alone, but the faith we live by is never alone. It produces love for our neighbor. So as I await eagerly with a hope of righteousness, the Holy Spirit is producing in me these fruit that we're going to talk about, love, joy, peace, goodness. He's producing this in me for the glory of God and for the love of others. Okay? This future hope produces faith in me. Our confident expectation about the future reaches back into the present and produces love. That brings us to verses 13 and 14. We have to understand where the love comes from. It comes from this expectancy, this hope of righteousness Fueled by the Holy Spirit, verse 13 says this, for you were called to freedom. Does that sound a lot like verse number one? You are called to freedom, brothers. He's saying, this, he's not saying this to unbelievers, he's saying this to believers. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you could take these first uh, 12 verses that I've uh, preached on this morning, and you could say, I have this freedom in Christ, and because I have this freedom in Christ, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. God is un unwavering in his forgiveness, and I'm unwavering in my sin, and so we make a great relationship, and I'm just going to go live my life and do whatever I want to do. He said freedom, right? Like Casey preached this morning, I'm free to go do whatever I want to do. That's not the freedom that he's called you to, and that's not the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's saying, you are, you are called free, free. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
We're going to talk next week about what the flesh produces. The flesh always produces legalism and lawlessness every single time. And we'll, un- we'll unpack that more next week. If you are left to yourself, you're going to produce legalism and lawlessness every single time. You could go on and read chapter number uh, five, and it gives you a huge list of what lawlessness looks like. And we'll dive into it deeper next week. That's not your opportunity, your opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Does that sound like anything that you've uh, heard before of Jesus teaching? Paul, he's going back to Leviticus number 19, and he's referring back to this because he knows this good Jewish audience would know what Leviticus 19 verse 18 says, for the entire law is fulfilled in these commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus, he taught on something similar to this in Matthew chapter 22, when his disciples came and talked to him about, you know, what is the greatest, greatest commandment? And uh, then he fleshes this out to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on this, Matthew 22. He's communicating this to the, uh, the Pharisees. He's communicating this to his disciples. He's saying the greatest commandment for you is for you to love others. So what the Holy Spirit is producing in you while you expectantly wait on the hope of righteousness is love. And that love is produced so that you can give that to your neighbor. You see how these work together? But you can't love in your flesh the way that God has called you to love. You're just not going to love your neighbor that well. You're not going to love your enemies. You're not going to love them that uh, despise you and persecute you. Why? Because that's not in our flesh. It's only in the spirit as we expectantly wait for the justification, our final justification, that hope and faith is produced in us through the Holy Spirit. And when it is, it's for the purpose of giving it to our neighbors. We no longer serve as slaves to the old law of sin and death, but we are now free to minister to others through love. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, although I am free from all and not a slave to anyone. He's saying, I'm free. I'm not a slave to anyone. No one can tell me what to do. I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. He understood it wasn't about him. This freedom that had been given to him Now live free produced in him a love for his neighbor. And he said, I will make myself a slave to everyone so that I can win more people. Because it's about the love that's produced by the Holy Spirit. When faith is working, it's love producing. When the Holy Spirit is working in your life, it's love producing You want to have a metric for is the Holy Spirit working in my life or not? Is it love producing? Martin Luther used to say it this way, God does not need your good works, but your neighbors do. It produces love. In the last days of the Civil War, the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia, fell to the Union Army. Abraham Lincoln insisted on visiting this city Even though no one knew he was coming, slaves recognized him as soon as he entered into the city. And they began to throng around him. 
He had liberated them by the Emancipation Proclamation, and his army right now is going around freeing them from the different uh, plantations and areas of Richmond. So you can imagine that a, a crowd begins to come around President Lincoln as he's walking through the city as all these Free slaves have been set free from their masters, set free from their bondage. And as these slaves are coming around him, he takes the opportunity to speak to them about their freedom. And he says this, according to Admiral David Porter, an eyewitness, Lincoln says this to the slaves that were around him, my poor friends, you are free. You are free, free as the air. You can cast off the name of slave and trample on it. Live in your birthright. Live as free. That's what Paul's telling us to do this morning in verse number one. He says, for freedom, he has set us free. Stand firm. Don't move. Don't wander. Don't be tricked into this new gospel. Don't go back to your old ways. Don't try to earn your salvation. Stand firm and don't submit to the yoke of slavery. You are free. Now live free to the glory of God and to the love of others. You're free. Free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning so overwhelmed by the freedom that is available to us through the person of Jesus Christ. That we can be justified, that we can be declared righteous, that we can be free from the bondage of sin, that we can be free from separation from you because of what your son has done for us. If you're here this morning and you've never experienced this freedom that can come in Jesus Christ, this righteousness that can be given to you, this relationship that can begin with your Heavenly Father, to, in a moment we're going to sing a song of response and I would invite you to just respond, just to walk down the aisle or make an altar out of your seat, and I'll be standing down front, and I'd love to introduce you to uh, King Jesus. I'd love to introduce you to my Heavenly Father. I would love to introduce you to this life of freedom. If you're a believer in the room this morning, and you are just living in bondage, if you've returned to slavery, of works and you're just like we talked about this morning you're just weary and hopeless and trying to do and trying to be and trying to live I invite you this morning just to lay those things at Jesus feet lay them at the altar this morning and say I'm gonna live in freedom when I leave this auditorium this morning I'm leaving in freedom no longer shackled to my guilt no longer shackled to my shame no longer shackled to the works that I've returned to because it's the only thing that I knew I'm going to leave here in freedom. If that's you this morning, I invite you to uh, pray and I invite you to uh, 
meet me down front in just a minute and allow me to pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the work that it does in our lives. Thank you for the freedom that is offered to us. I pray that you'll give us the willingness and the courage to obey your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.